Hello and welcome back to Cooking the Books with me, Jilly Smith, the podcast which takes us through four food moments from the books of our favourite A-lister food writers. It's about life, culture and politics all through the prism of food. And this week we're celebrating the poetry and timelessness of the great outdoors. You know, this idea of stopping for a moment, of slowing down, of getting off the, the speeding train and just taking a breath... How do we do that? How can we do that? Outside is Gil Meller's latest cookbook, which takes us to the elemental beauty of his home on the Jurassic Coast, just down the road from River Cottage, where he's been a chef and tutor for years. His previous books, Gather, Time and Rootstem, Leaf Flower, have all captured this little slice of heaven. But as Gil told me, cooking outside doesn't just have to be in the most beautiful place in the world. It's very much about the joy of actually getting out of the four walls of your kitchen and being out under the sun or, you know, out in the wind or somewhere where you're immersed in, 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 in the natural world. So the concentration on this one is really cooking outside. You know, you and I have done two lots of, of outdoor cooking. You took me down to your amazing beach. There was literally no one there. And you cooked me up a mackerel using very little. And, and, and that's the point. And you also did that in the woods for another episode of the Delicious Podcast. Where yeah, you, I did. we foraged for mushrooms and you just brought a frying pan out of your back pocket and whacked up some gorgeous mushrooms i mean it really is that easy for you isn't it It, why is it that easy for you and so hard for so many other people i don't know if it's difficult for other people it's just that um i I find it thoroughly enjoyable you know to get outside and cook it i find it um slightly more magical than cooking inside to be honest with you and that's that's the sort of crux of, of the book is uh Food always tastes so much better outside. And that simple mackerel dish that we ate down on the beach, you know, we could have eaten it round the kitchen table, but by the fire, hearing the sea shore, you know, rolling away and um, the smoke, all, all those elements that surround what you're actually eating, what you're, what you're actually cooking, make it stand out. And uh, I think yeah, that's the sort of message that I was trying to put across it's it's the magic and it's the poetry and the ritual of eating amongst the elements and i you know i was we were talking just before we started recording about how beautiful i think this book is and i asked (laughs) you if you had a novel in you um i want to talk about your writing gill it seems to me to get better and better and there's a real story in here and you know right in the introduction it hits you that this is somebody who really has lived in Mm. in your head outside for a very long time um you moved from the town to the country when you were eight years old and you talk about finding a kestrel and it it is (laughs) the story of kez and well let me let me just read a little bit from the introduction i remember heading out of the door with my backpack stuffed with a flask of soup and some bread it didn't take me long to reach the steep hillside a swathe of coarse grass tuffets hollows and little saplings that all faced south over a bowl of wet fields i sat down between the grasses to shelter from the late autumn wind pulled up my hood and watched Although I was alone, I felt a part of my surroundings, held by them. When I got hungry, I had a cup of hot soup and tore at the bread. Half hidden, I ate, and what I'd eaten, as simple as it was, became a huge part of the moment. 
In fact, when I look back, it's the soup I remember first. Somehow I can taste it in my mind, and when I do, the valley opens up in front of me. I feel the cold breeze across my face, see the colour of the sky, and somewhere in the distance, a falcon soars. (laughs) It's a moment of journeying, isn't it? Is that what you wanted to do with this book? Did you want to take your reader outside with you? Yeah, I wanted to really encourage people just to just to do it just to just to get out there take some ingredients um whether you're preparing a salad and eating it out in the sun or you're cooking over fire i think it's just just having th- that little bit of confidence and, and throwing caution to the wind so some of those romantic um stories that you you, you come across in the book and that you've just read um I was hoping to tease people with that, perhaps, but I also just wanted to sort of pour out some some thoughts that I had onto the, onto the page. And um, you know, I remember that that moment it, literally is like it was yesterday. And I can, I, I, I'm there. I was there when I was writing it. You know, and I know where that place is. That bank. Now it was saplings. Those trees are. You know, this is 35 years ago. Um, they're huge trees now. I pass it um, occasionally when I go and see my dad. But, yeah, a lot of that stuff and a lot of the the bones of this this book and my love of outdoor cooking and eating comes from, you know, my childhood and, and living in the countryside. And it was bird watching, wasn't it, that really kind of took you deep into the the countryside yeah 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 well it was initially and then i became obsessed with falconry um like the the little chap on on kez and um and then when i got my own hawk the, the first it was a common buzzard um that i trained and then after that every day after school i was i was gone i was just out in the woods in the fields with my bird uh, for hours, literally hours, while my mates were all sort of, you know, on their bikes and playing football. I was just on my own, solitary, with this hawk. And um, it, it, it helped me tune into the natural world in, in a way that um, seasonal cooking has in, in more recent years, yeah. Yeah, no, it's a fantastic way of just stopping, isn't it? And you really have to, as you say, tune in to the natural world because you're watching what your bird... I mean, I've never done it, but I... Do. Yeah, you're right. You're right. I love that what... film. You know, I watched Kez as a child and I was absolutely transformed oh, yeah. by it. And it, what's interesting is what you say about the soup. It's, you know, I talk to a lot of people who go back in time in places through their imagination, but it's always the recipes that then ground them that, that lock in that memory and mm. you know when you talk about the soup for example it's that that elevates that experience and makes it a visceral experience for the rest of us as well yeah 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 the experience elevates the soup you know that was just a very plain simple soup that perhaps wouldn't be exciting if you were serving it to your you know friends around the dinner table but when you ate it in that situation it was delicious and warming comforting and everything you needed on a on a windy day um so that's what yeah that's what i mean things just taste they taste better uh, outside um, with all those elements coming into play that surround what you're eating. Yeah, I remember talking to Carolyn Steele about Epicurus, um, you know, totally, totally misquoted throughout 
history. Um, he wasn't somebody who talked about, you know, great big banquets. He talked about that moment of eating something that absolutely sated your Mm. With hunger, your real hunger in that moment, or, or a glass of cold water on a hot day, that's the mm. Epicurean mm. experience. <laughs> you talk about soup again in your first food moment. It's the soup that you had when you went for a walk with your wife, Alice, on a cold, wintry Sunday. That was the genesis of the book, wasn't it? Tell us about that soup moment. So that was, yeah, a memorable occasion, but it wasn't meant to be. We were just going for a walk. And I remember it because it was very wintry and cold and blustery. And we went up onto the um, the hill above Charmouth, which is a, a village just down the coast from where I live. And um, we sat, we walked and then we sat on the bench and looked out to sea. And it was, you know, it was sort of churning up the sea and the wind was coming off it. And... Uh, we were wrapped up in coats and scarves and we had this thermos of soup. Um, you know, it's, it's a little bit like my moment as a boy. Um, and we, we just sat there and had this lovely cup of warm soup, but it was just the most delicious thing. And the most sort of grounding and just, just sort of, it's like a, a, a big hug, you know, um, right then and there. And it was, it was magic. You know, it's greater than the sum of its parts. Suddenly, you know, something very uh, sort of irrelevant, almost this this sustenance, uh, this meal became deeply soothing, and you were very sort of humbled by it in a way, grateful for it. In, in, in yes it, it meant lots of different things um funny isn't it it is you know you and i have talked a number of times about the link between slowing down eating from the land and saving the planet and it feels to me that this timelessness is your mm. your theme isn't it it's about it, however busy the modern world is there are these moments of magic that we actually do have to keep coming back to in order to get some sense of perspective and to, to put down some real rules of life. Yeah. I mean, I know you've done that with your kids. You've taken them out all the time. You show them the magic of the everyday, of the mundane. Well, I hope so. I don't know. I hope I, hope I have. Well, you have and you write about no, it. No, that's true. That's true. I mean, tell us about that that moment in the book where you you write about taking your kids out and just stopping and showing them the magic mm. of the little things. Well, there's when your kids are a certain age, they see things through sort of magical eyes, sort of tinted fairy eyes. You know, my two daughters when they were when they were young, we used to take them into the woods. Um, we lived near an abandoned railway track an old railway track, uh, and it ran through Powerstock Common. And we would venture out, at, and my memories of it are mostly in the autumn because we would go out picking blackberries and crab apples and things. Um, but they, you know, they, they were fascinated by everything that I showed them, and I tried to point out as many interesting things um, 
in the hedgerows, you know, uh, in the in the trees, in the fields, um, things in you know that were part of nature, entwined with nature, and you know just sort of c- captured their imaginations, you know, stimulated them um, in a way that um, own you know only wild things can, and uh, um, that. I, I hope you know had an uh, an effect on them, and they, you know, they made a, a connection that perhaps they wouldn't have done had I not not pushed pushed that. But um, just I wanted them to be immersed in it. Yeah, and I think that you know so many of us do that with our yeah, kids and walks and blackberry picking, and I think that's what everyone is trying to do. And what I get from your book is that it feels like you're unlocking memories a lot there's a lot of this visceral way that you describe things and there's a lot of calling back through i don't know the ancestors there's a sort of a magic that you spin you your second food moment for example the steak on embers um you know a million years ago you say early man didn't use any equipment and there's this, this story that keeps going through that that is about how it used to be that outside is still where the magic is Mm. you know millions of years ago people have just been putting their hunk of meat that Mm. they've just killed into the fire i mean i wouldn't have thought of putting meat directly onto the embers why am i thinking that way and is it okay it's a very ancient way of doing things um as are a lot of these cooking techniques um weirdly it's if if you sort of follow trends, it's become um, quite popular these days, you know, and you get these sort of chest-beating fire chefs who love throwing, you know, pieces of meat into the fire. Like it's a new thing, but obviously it's, you know, one of the oldest ways of cooking, you know, long before there were grills, before there were earthenware crocks and cooking vessels of any type. You know, early man would have been out hunting they would have come back skinned the carcass and literally hacked off pieces of meat and thrown it into the into the fire to cook um isn't it strange that you know we're we're sort of doing the same thing now but um thinking we're super cool and uh you know part of this new movement um but it, it, it is it it's a way of cooking that completely turns you know, modern gastronomy on its head in that you are taking it right back to the, yeah. the beginnings, you know, the very beginnings. And it's it's being talked about. People are sort of loving it. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, the other thing is how much time it takes. And, you know, the way that you talk about just chucking some potatoes in a in some foil and put, putting them back into the embers and just leaving them, you know, for some time. I mean, tell us about that one. Yeah, it's an ancient way of cooking, but actually when you think about it, it's quite relevant in some ways to how we do things today. I mean, it's not unusual to wrap potatoes up and pop them in the embers of a fire and and let them bake away while, you know, you're um you're getting on with something else. That 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 we do and it's fantastic and it's wonderful. And you know, there's there's a point in the book where I mentioned that very thing. Um, and it's a lovely story this this lady told me where she would go out for for walks with her entire family you know they they they'd 
wrap up warm and head off. But before they left, they get a fire going and they wrap their potatoes up and pop them in the in the embers. And by the time they got back, the potatoes would be cooked and they'd unwrap them and they'd put, put lots of butter and cheese on them. And it was just this very uh, beautiful little story uh, about how cooking can make something, you know, so, so fantastic. Uh, so that, you know, that walk became a sort of journey of excitement because they were going to come back to this delicious reward. You know, it, it just goes to show that that's, that form of simple cooking um, outside in a fire perhaps uh, can be you know super super stimulating and interesting and and uh, engaging you know again this this is a theme of slowing down and we were talking just before we started recording about my road trip across france and spain and i know that you've yes. done that too in your third food moment is the camper van stew you know when you and alice yeah. were first married and you you just wanted to travel and eat along the way and that's the outside cooking as as well tell us about that experience of just eating on the side of the road cooking where you want oh yeah well that was a that was a really great trip Uh, but I was young I was like 21 or something like that and we bought this old camper van a Renault traffic it was from this old boy in Swanage I remember it very clearly. And we headed off. We'd saved up a bit of money because I'd been cooking in, in kitchens and saved up a bit of money and off we went. And it was, I think it was three months we went down through France and Spain and round to Italy. But we didn't have a big budget. So cooking was something we, we thought about, you know, it was considered. We didn't have loads of um, cash to splash on expensive ingredients and we certainly didn't go out to eat that that regularly so it was all about finding good fresh locally grown seasonal ingredients and and cooking them in 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 a fairly simple way and that camper van stew that i i mentioned in the in the book uh, and, and give a recipe for a recipe of sorts i must i must add because it varied every time um was it it, it sort of encapsulated the whole trip in that it was a way of cooking quite often outside over a little campfire or inside on the little burner in the um in the galley in the in the van Uh, it was a way of cooking that just sort of relied on you know some some fresh courgettes and peppers and beans that we picked up and maybe some tins of tomatoes that we had knocking about um fresh parsley and olives and things things that were relatively easy to get hold of cheap and seasonal and the reason i put it in there is because it it switched on uh, a light in my head about what simple good cooking can be and doing that outside in all these different locations along the way uh, made it that more special Um, so yeah it was it was good Uh, I was glad I I 
wedge that recipe in there. <laughs> Absolutely. And the other one that you wedged in there is our mushrooms that, uh, yeah. that you foraged in, in that wonderful I know. wood next to your house. And what? And I was so touched at that. It was such a lovely moment because you say that after you know we did that recording for the Delicious Podcast, the woods have now been, what, returned to... to what, what, what's happened to them? That particular woodland is managed by the Forestry Commission and they, you know, it just time had come that they were felling a lot of that that those trees for timber um so where we were walking and in areas that surround that it's been yeah it's been literally leveled which was very actually traumatic when i when we next went up there and you know it was all all change um but those conditions that the mushrooms that we picked the hedgehog mushrooms um growing had changed beyond recognition so they won't grow in the same way so it was quite quite a a moment in that sense um so it went in the book for that reason but not but not wholly it went in because it that moment that we spent together and cooked in a very stripped back way little fire pan some fresh ingredients that we'd happen to pick you know those collectively made up a very sort of special moment for me and um a a memorable one it's funny how food can you know they just carve these memories into you your mind you know a good cookbook i think needs that it needs genuine experiences and moments um, and the things that you've eaten that really you know knock you back and just blow your mind if you can get them into the book if you can convey how special it was then I think that comes through to the reader and maybe it comes through to the, the you know the food that they make um. it, it absolutely does it's it's all about a good cookbook I think is when you take your reader by the hand and you take them into your world and you do that really beautifully your final food moment is about the soggy sausage saturday now this is a piece of writing <laughs> honestly gil if you don't get loads of awards next year just oh, simply no. for this piece so so this is you on your fantastic jurassic beach with kids and dogs and families and friends and you know everything that yeah. everybody wants out of their saturday oh, no. afternoon. well i don't want i don't want people to think like that but i, we, I mean we're very lucky that we've got this beach and it, it is pretty idyllic and then what happens so can you just read us a little bit of this yeah so this is the introduction to the feasting chapter and we did have this feast down on on the beach a, a few years ago um, and as you say, there was lots of kids and uh, it was set to be a fantastic lunch, but it all sort of changed. And this is a little section from from that uh, intro. I can't remember whether it was September or October, but I'll never forget looking out across the water while we ate and seeing the clouds on the skyline. They seemed to pull together into a wall of black matter that began to barrel its way south across the surface of the ocean. The squall sucked the light out of the sky and absorbed sound from the air. As we all turned to stare, it felt like time had come to an end. The silence lasted for a couple of seconds. 
then imploded like a fading star, and then it just exploded dramatically into a fierce, seething maelstrom. The sea was drawn up under the darkness and raged like wraiths on black horses. The land bowed under the weight of the clouds. Then it began to rain. It came in hard like stair rods before the wind, as if the torrents themselves were fleeing the fury of the screaming gale. Beautiful. I mean, I was <laughs> there. I don't care about being absolutely soaked to the skin in this. It is exactly no. what outside is all about. It is elemental. And, you know, the beginning of that section, you talk about lost kings and tribesmen and people of the tundra. Yeah. To go back in a circular way to where we started, it is about conjuring up your ancestors. There's this sense of timelessness. And this wonderful slowing down and really appreciating, loving the outside, the elements of it all. But it's about the celebration of the elements. You know, I was thinking about how we, or how I tend to be around a fire, we tend to be quiet around a fire. And that felt very noisy and outsidey and, you know, elemental. I wonder if, if now... You know, when you light a fire or you a fire pit or whatever it is, people sit around it and they become contemplative, meditative, mm. as if we've lost something. There's a yearning that fire invokes in people. And I wonder if it's something to do with all that magic that, that's gone out of our lives. Well, we, we, we have sort of lost, lost that connection, I think. The, you know, there's something very primal and special about sitting around a fire whether you're cooking or not you know it draws us in it's it's a it's a it's a way of coming together you know very much like we would around a table you know our early ancestors would come together around around a fire Um, and that is magic and you know this idea of stopping for a moment of slowing down of getting off the the speeding train and just taking a breath how do we do that? How can we do that? In the book, I try and suggest that getting outside, getting a fire going, cooking something simple to eat over it is, is one way of doing it. You know, it's, it's a way of switching off from our mad modern-day lifestyles, um, getting away from the, the laptops and the phones and just engaging in something completely primal and um you know very real and i think we all need that you know more and more as as the world spin seems to spin faster and faster um just to 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 get off at that that junction for a moment just step off the this speeding train slow down get outside whether it's a a a picnic on the beach or just a a summery lunch in the garden. It's so important to stop and breathe. Thanks for listening. You can read the transcripts to the show at jillysmith.com. Just click on podcasts. Please do get in touch on social media. I'm at Cooking the Books with Jilly Smith on Instagram, where you can follow my adventures in cookery with Leith's Online. You can check the show notes and on Instagram for full details of how to get those Cooking the Books discounts on Leith's cookery courses. And I'll see you next week when we're cooking outside again, this time in London, as Helen Grays introduces us to some of her neighbours cooking over wildfire.